Hello, hello. Welcome to Occupolitics, a Harry Potter reread podcast that focuses on politics in the wizarding world. As always, I'm Adri, one of your hosts and a recovering English major. And I'm Helene, your co-host and producer. Helene, hello. Hi. Have we talked about the American Girl dolls that came out recently? The ones that are from the 90s? The 1999 historical American Girl dolls. Honestly, no, we haven't talked about it yet, but honestly, like... I, I don't know. For some reason, yeah, I was born in 93, so I am a 90s child. I know I know you were born before then, but but it doesn't bother me. Honestly, the only thing is I want one. Like, I want to oh, no, no, own no. one. See, 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 the thing is, um, as a child, as, as, a, as a mother of a child who is uh, born female, right, I was <laughs> like, so how early is it to <laughs> actually get her one of these, right? And my mom keeps joking every time we go to the store and I, like, peruse the toy aisle. She's like, you're really buying toys for yourself, Adri. Like, this is not for <laughs> Olivia. And I'm like, yes. I mean, exactly. that's, true. that's true about parenting, like, in general for everybody up until, until a certain age. Like, yeah, when, when like, you take your kid, when you take your six-month-old infant to Disney World, you are taking it them for you. What I What mean, is that? Course. What is that six-year-old, six-month-old going to get out of it? Like a six-year-old, yeah, I think they would get something out of it. But like, and they would remember it. Like, I remember things like that from when I was six years old. But like, I, my mom could have taken me to hell when I was six months old. I wouldn't fucking remember. Yeah, I'd be like, I remember being warm. <laughs> That's all I remember. <laughs> right. So, yeah, I think that, like, hell, you, you, you're dealing with an, a child all day. You know, you deserve to yeah, buy yourself some damn toys. <laughs> and that, my friends, is going to be <laughs> emblazoned on T-shirts that we're going to start selling. You are kids. literally responsible for a human life. And it is not easy, especially when they're that young. You deserve toys. Yes. I like this. And me, a 29-year-old woman with literally no child, no children except for my two cats, um, also deserves toys. Of course. <laughs> you are responsible. You have two dependents, even though the IRS does not consider yeah. them as dependents. Yeah. So, um, exactly. devastating news. Um, the recommended age for American Girl Dolls uh, is eight years and above. And I just can't justify <laughs> buying those dolls for my not even one year old child. <laughs> buy, buy, for, buy it for yourself, honestly. I, I mean, I had two American Girl dolls growing up. I don't remember how old I was when I got my first one, but I remember wanting the first one desperately and begging my parents for it for years. And I had a specific one that I wanted, and they ended up get, they ended up getting me her. But it took like two years of me asking, I think. Um, mm -hmm. And it was like one of the best days of my life when I got that first American Girl doll. I was so fucking excited. Yeah, I put the doll in my cart and really debated it because I like wanted the like... Like I wanted the one that came with all the outfits. Yes, they're they're like what, like a hundred dollars base, right? No, like no, no, like these ones. I mean, the base one is one fifty, and uh, like the one with all the outfits is like two fifty. And I was like, or something like ridiculous, like that. And I was like, Adriana, por favor, that is too much. And then <laughs> you could add, you could. <laughs> you could add like you know the the other stuff yeah. so um one of them like the one i want which is the grunge one because who like i mean who i mean if you're gonna get a 90s a queen yeah if you're not gonna get if you're gonna get a 90s american girl doll come on grunge for sure right um so um you know she comes with a skateboard and everything it's really cute um there's the personal pan pizza accessory set from Pizza Hut, from like, you know, you read the books and you get a personal pan pizza tip thing. Oh my gosh. From the 90s, which is like nostalgia uh, overload. And wow. then it also, there's like 
a a blow up purple um little like seat couch thing um like those transparent ones um amazing yeah just brought me like fully to like early 2000s 1999 when I was like in seventh and eighth grade and I was like oh my god this is this is literally my childhood and I need this oh my gosh god what am I I kept oh, having like I kept I kept screen sorry I kept screenshotting like the American Girl doll like um, website to Seth and I was like um, this is beautiful I want this and he's like I mean I guess okay if you want it and I was like <laughs> ah. oh my gosh no honestly like one of my happiest childhood memories was going to it was my first American Girl doll ex, uh, store experience when you mm-hmm. when I went when I went to the American Girl doll store for the first time I know there's a huge one in the Mall of America actually I don't know if it's still there but they used to have a huge American Girl doll store in the Mall of America and I can't remember if it was that one I went to or it was like one in Chicago either way it was huge I remember um the first American Girl doll that I got that I was in love with was Molly she had the little she had brown hair she, and it was like in braids and she had these freckles and like um like harry potter glasses basically like really like circular glasses she was like a little geek i loved her so much and then the second one i got was kit and she was kind of like a surfer girl she was a blonde like california surfer girl i don't really know why i wanted her she i don't really i didn't really like connect with her story but um i just remember (laughs) when i went to the american girl doll store for the first time they literally and i don't know if they still do this or if there even are stores like that anymore. But they literally sold matching like outfits, like outfits that you could buy for your doll and then outfits that would fit you that would match. And I bought a matching outfit so Molly and I could wear matching outfits and it was the best thing I ever did. So, okay. So, yes, they still do that, by the way. <laughs> Amazing. Um, <laughs> how do I know this? Well, dear <laughs> listeners, um. Not only does uh, this beautiful company sell dolls that I want to buy for myself because, you know, my daughter's not eight yet, but they also sell uh, dolls like baby dolls that are for like, you know, 18 months old and older. So I was thinking, oh, great, fantastic. Next Christmas, she'll be like 18 months old. So I can get her this like baby doll. So they have for those dolls and the 18 inch dolls, right? Like the ones that I I want Mm -hmm. matching outfits for them and the toddlers yeah yeah exactly so yeah that's yeah it is beautiful (laughs) and magical and I want to do it and so I filled out my entire cart with like I took out like Nikki like the the Grinch doll right and I was like no 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 I'm I'm, I should be selfless and think about my child and um I feel I fill the cart out with everything I want to get her for Christmas and her second birthday, right? Because I'm like a planner that way for for gifts. And um, clean. I'm gonna have to spend like not have to like I filled the cart with everything I wanted to get her, and it was I kid you not seven hundred dollars or more. Yeah, and I, I mean like, that's why it took two years of me begging my parents to get this doll because they're expensive. <laughs> Yeah, because, you know, like, it all adds up. Like, oh, and I want to get her this, like, little shopping cart that has, like, a little doll seat for the doll. Right, right. So she could push the doll around, and that's $130, which, like, doesn't fucking make sense. The doll is, like, only 50 Like, why do you need, like, a yeah. $130 cart for the fucking doll? Like, all these things. And I was like, Ooh. Oh, my gosh. I looked at Molly because I wanted to, like, see her again. Um, and literally this is the same exact outfit that they have her in that's like that's the one i have like i have vivid memories it's like this like blue cable knit sweater and navy blue mm-hmm. like matching skirt with like these little mary janes and her little red satin ribbons around each of her braids i remember this outfit so vividly oh my gosh i love this so much i'm living you should dress as molly for halloween <laughs> yeah totally she was so cute she has her little bangs Ugh. I loved her so much. She was my best friend. Yeah, and look how you treated her. Where is she right now, Helene? I I think we had to. I, I mean, either she's in our storage room when we moved, like out of our house, or we sold her. 
but left behind. I know. Left her behind. You abandoned her. Wow. Yeah. I mean, at a certain age, you know, when I turned around maybe like 15 or 16, I was like, man, girl dolls are stupid. It was a dark time in my life. (laughs) And here I am at 36 going, I should get one, right? (laughs) I'm like, why did I ever think these were stupid? Never. Because teenagers are dumb and, you know, our brains weren't, oh my God. weren't fully developed Isabel yet. Isabel is basically Cher from Clueless. <laughs> yes, that's exactly what I told Seth. I was like, like, one of them is very, like, Alanis Morissette, no, like, and- listens to Alanis Morissette, and the other one is basically Cher Horowitz from Clueless. Yeah, so, yeah, Isabel is Cher, and Nikki is basically, I want to say, Kat from 10, Day- 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, for sure. Oh, look, it's Kat and Bianca. Even but this time, oh my God, it, like, is, it is kind of anyway. like Kat and Bianca. That's cute. Sorry, <laughs> I like that. Um, did you see the Pizza Hut bucket set? I'm still looking at it right now. Dolls? I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I'm in love. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh my gosh. Anyway, we should probably talk about Harry Potter, but I'm definitely gonna want to look more into this later. Oh no, I can talk about Harry Potter on this. Guess what else they have? They have Quidditch robes for American Girl dolls. You know, I think my I think an ad came up for me for that, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is a thing now." That's pretty cool. Yeah, so you can wear you can wear your matching Quidditch robes with your American Girl doll. Um, <laughs> hell yeah, sign me up, Helene. We could take our American Girl dolls, which we don't have currently, right? But like in a, in the future, yeah. to Universal Studios Orlando <laughs> with our, you know, with our robes and their robes. Okay, and this is stage a photo. What I need though is this computer Shoot. computer and desk set. That's what I need. The- oh, girl! If you okay, like uh, these. Okay, let me show you. Let me tell you what I screenshot it and told Seth I wanted Nikki, right? Like with the whole outfit set, like I told you. The inflatable couch seat, whatever, right? Yeah. Set. The bedroom accessory set. The Pizza Hut book it set. And the Isabel and Nikki's computer and desk set. Yeah, for me, like, the the computer and desk set for sure. I do like her bed and, like, Nikki's, like, bed with her cute little alien pillow. Oh, and, yeah. yeah. Alien um, and, and the smiley face, yeah. And her little monkey slippers are very, very cute. Um, yeah, and then basically the the chair the inflatable chair with the walkman but that's exactly yep that is that and like the pizza hut thing for me yes i can't i can't with this it's too fucking cute it's too cute and i just i'm like why would yeah no and no i need i need this like i don't know how else to say this but i need it Oh my gosh. Look, as soon as I get a bonus from work, you know where it's going. Like the American <laughs> Girls store is getting all my bonus from work. Yeah, the, the price tag on these is astronomical. I can't believe it. Oh, I can, but I'm also like okay, I guess. Like Also, it looks like there's no American Girls store in your state anymore. Yeah, they I think they I think I remember them getting rid of the the one in the Mall of America. It was huge, though, and I loved it. Even I would go in there as an adult sometimes just to see what, like, what's going on. They used to have a area. I don't know if they still do this, but where like you could literally match every part of the doll to look exactly like you. So like you could like choose what eye mm-hmm. color they have and like what hair color they have and and all of that. Oh, you could do this online now. Oh, okay, yeah, they had a whole like station in the store that you could do that at. Yeah, I also have been seduced intellectually by that idea um <laughs> so yeah that's uh that's the little pop culture update for everyone <laughs> amazing <laughs> um pivoting slightly this chapter that we're going to be discussing today of harry potter and the deathly hallows i didn't find as fun as the american girl dolls uh but we're going to have to talk about I, I mean, it. I was going to say, maybe that's just... why we were talking about it for so long, because we didn't want to get move on to the stuff. <laughs> yeah, so this is chapter 26 of the final book in the series, titled Gringotts. It sure is. This is uh, the one where the trio 
leave Shell Cottage with Griphook after weeks of planning their break-in of Gringotts, but not before disguising Hermione and Ron and concealing Harry and Griphook under the vis- invisibility cloak. They arrive at Diagon Alley and run into the to the Death Eater named Travers, who nearly derails all of their plans. Uh, but when they arrive at, ha- at Gringotts, they barely escape detection thanks to the Imperious Curse and then reach Bellatrix Lestrange's vaults, only to find that all of the items have been cursed to burn and multiply at their touch. They finally find Hufflepuff's cup and retrieve it, and then escape the vault only to be betrayed by Griphook, who takes the Sword of Gryffindor and leads them to be a- leaves them to be attacked by a group of goblins waiting just outside the door. Desperate to escape, the trio climb on the back of one of the dragons guarding the vaults and release it from its chains so they can ride it to freedom. A lot happened in the was chapter, it? but I wouldn't say it was a very political chapter. <laughs> yeah, but was it just me or was the way that the, they escaped Gringotts much more dramatic in the movie? Yeah, honestly, I don't know. Like, maybe it was like the way or, where my head was when I was reading this chapter, but like the chapter just didn't flow like it was very like hard to follow um and like despite what i tr- like despite what i could do and like just trying like all i could really do was just picture the movie when i was reading it mm-hmm. like it didn't create like mm-hmm. a very unique narrative i think the the movie that scene in the movie is so iconic you know yeah that entire sequence that it just kind of overrides, you know, the book for me at least. Yeah. I mean, I like, I expected to like this chapter. Cause like, like you said, like the, the part in the movie is like very iconic. And like, obviously when you go to Diagon Alley at the universal studios um, in Orlando, like you see that, that scene of Gringotts with the, mm-hmm. with the, huge dragon on top of it that spits literal fire on like a t- like every like 30 minutes or something um and like gorgeous no no yeah it's like <laughs> it's like one of the most magical parts of the entire park um and so you know you would think that the chapter that it was like based out of would be just as enthralling but i don't know i just didn't like it plus i i really had a hard time thinking of what to say for a politic this chapter because even though there was a lot going on I, it didn't really feel political at all well i felt like it was a little bit political in a very psychological way because sort of, yeah. if you don't mind me at like starting out with my politics sure go ahead i thought that this chapter was all about the politics of trauma um, so like in the way of like, there's like trauma is something that rewires your brain and how you react to certain things and events, um, after, you know, being put through trauma, like the more tr- like trauma we are put through or the more severe the trauma, the more like our neural pathways, um, change and so does our reaction and perception of the world right so i thought that this was like a chapter that was all about trauma and the way that i was thinking about it um we see it like when harry thinks about the plan he's comparing it to like the last time they had to like break in and he compares it to he says like why was i feeling excited and now i'm feeling like all this trepidation and double like like triple guessing myself and like that anxiety comes from like a traumatic event or a, a lot of traumatic events, especially because they've been isolated from wizarding society for a while before they get to shell cottage. And then they, he must feel some kind of way because like Dobby dies protecting him. And then we see like the trauma that the wandless embody in this chapter, which is like a parallel to homelessness, I think. Mm-hmm. And the Pavlovian trauma from the blind dragon who expects pain every time that he hears the sound of the instruments that the goblins and the wizards use to condition him so that he is afraid or that it is afraid and subservient to them. Interestingly, I was thinking that we also see a metaphor for trauma within the vault, right? So like everything that they touch in the vault burns them. 
And that made me think of like how trauma feels in the moment. Like it feels like it's burning you and it's scorching you, right? Mm -hmm. But what trauma also does is multiply in ways that we cannot predict and sometimes not even see. And if left untreated, it can scorch us and swallow us whole like the treasure in the vault. So Yeah, I, I mean, I think that that's a very astute metaphor that the author was not intending whatsoever. But oh yeah, no, I'm not saying yeah, I think, that she yeah, I think that, it. Yeah, no, I think <laughs> that you were able to find like much deeper meaning in the writing than was ever intended. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I at this point, the way that I feel about the writer, right, like is kind of like I don't care what the writer intended at this point. Like we can find more, me- better, and more meaning in yeah this writing, even as we call her out many a times, right? Um, and I just. As I was just thinking about trauma and like I kept reading that section with like the scorching, like multiplying treasure. I was like, this feels to me like how trauma like can, can swallow you whole if you don't deal with it, if you don't handle it. Um, So, or, or how you even feel in the moment, like you're drowning. Right. And you need, you know, you need someone's help to like, you know, take you out of that. Yeah, definitely. No, I think that, like I said, I think it's a very like good observation and like a good metaphor. Um, Just, you also, know, finding some, some gems. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And also I think like, I, I, I don't know. I personally liked the fact that the like charm or curse or whatever you want to call it, that like they put on the stuff to make it multiply and stuff was the like I think they called it the gem gemino or the yeah it's like a it's like a the gemino curse or whatever and it's like like the gemini or whatever yeah and I was like oh it's like gemini yeah okay gem gem geminio or ge- yeah it's ge- geminio I don't know how you say it yeah and I was like oh that's kind of cute like gemini because like they're twins and it's a twi- twin like a two space thing and yeah it's kind of cute you know who else are twins. Nikki and Elizabeth. The American Girl Dolls. <laughs> <laughs> Move over, Fred and George. Move I mean, over, my, my mind immediately went to Nikki and Isabel before Fred and George, too. So, I mean, there yeah. we go. Yeah. Stop of mind, of course. Stop just, just, um, just a moment of levity before we go to yours. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, mine was, I don't know, it's, it's kind of like on the same wavelength. So, I went with Desperation. Um, which desperation is defined as the feeling that you have when you are in such a bad situation that you will try anything to change it, including things that are out of character, character. What, what did I just say? Um, um, including, (laughs) sorry, I'm going to say this over, including things that are out of character or that you would not normally do if you were in any given situation normally. So, um, Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think that there, there are a lot of things that were kind of done that were out of character in this chapter and it was due to like a literal like being backed into a corner with no other option um Mm -hmm. because like this oh for sure the unforgivable curse right yeah so that's part of it um but yeah i mean and i think that like this can be seen as kind of i guess political in a way too like a lot of politicians act out of desperation and and like people do things out of desperation that you know they and they use that as like a crutch in the future or like a way like to not feel guilty about it in the future because they're like oh I was desperate I wouldn't I wouldn't normally do this but I was desperate you know things like that but in this chapter specifically so Harry obviously he knew that they would either be caught or or killed um or imprisoned if they were exposed when attempting to break into Gringotts and there were a lot of times throughout their attempt to break in where they risked being exposed so because he was desperate he cast the imperious curse which just doesn't it's very out of character for harry to cast an an unforgivable curse they i mean he tried to cast crucio on bellatrix after she killed sirius and that was more out of anger than desperation but in this case like imperio is just so much is, is so immoral um in harry's view like 
controlling someone and giving taking away their free will that I'm sure he would never want to do this um, voluntarily if he didn't if he wasn't like forced to. And then Griphook obviously I think was very desperate to get the sword because he kind of knew um, and figured that the the trio would somehow renege on their promise of of giving it to him or find a way to not give it to him or you know not give it to him in his timeline. And he wasn't going to let that happen. He was desperate to have it. He was willing to do anything in his power in that moment to get it. And so he kind of like backstabbed them. He stole the sword and ran out and left them to die, basically, because he really didn't see any other option. And they probably didn't want to even take the sword out of Hermione's bag when they were in the vault in the first place, because keeping it in Hermione's bag would, you know, keep it safe from potentially being stolen by anyone or lost or damaged or whatever the hell else there is. Um, But they literally had no other choice but to take it out of the bag and use it to get the cup because it was the only thing in their repertoire, really, that would be able to reach the cup without burning themselves and because it was so high up. And then finally, obviously, the trio was so desperate to escape um, alive and not be murdered or captured or whatever, um, that Harry took a huge risk in freeing this dragon, which he probably wouldn't have done otherwise because the dragon could, could have easily killed them. And it was really basically a 50-50 shot of whether or not the dragon was going to attack them <laughs> and kill them and burn them to a crisp or whatever it is. Um, but he had no other choice. So he he took this huge risk and... Thankfully, it paid off for them, but uh, they were able, and they were able to escape on his back. But he could have just killed all of his friends by doing that. So, I mean, imagine how desperate you have to be to trust a being that you cannot communicate with over beings that you can actually communicate with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but at the same time, like usually animals tend to be like more. I don't like. I I would trust an animal more than a evil dude ninety percent of the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, agreed, agreed. I do trust my dogs more than any person out in the street. Yeah, That's like if true. there was like a like, mass just... murderer coming after me and my option was to like put the, my the my like trust my my life um to like a lion, I would trust that lion more than I would trust this dude. You know? Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> like but yeah, I, I get it. Like, it is scary. It's it's definitely, it was definitely a risk. Like, they all could have died. But they didn't. But they didn't. Um, <laughs> which uh, brings us to trauma again. Because, like, yeah. oh, you could have died, but you didn't. That's basically trauma. Yeah. Um, or in your brain, you're like, something really bad uh, happened to you, but you didn't die. You're still alive. But now you have to uh, live with this thing. Yeah. forever um until you deal with or until you deal with it and find a therapist mm-hmm. um so my quote was what i um first uh alluded to which was like harry's feelings about an anxiety around like mm-hmm. breaking into gringotts only because that is like the most literal manifestation of his psychological trauma after being captured um, you know, at, at, and being held at Malfoy Manor, and also like after ha- things have been gone wrong, like time after time after time in this book, right? So, and you know, if we compound the traumas of the past as well, I guess. So, Harry slept badly that night, lying awake in the early hours. He thought back to the way he had felt the night before they infiltrated the Ministry of Magic and remembered a determination, almost an excitement. Now he was experiencing jolts of anxiety, nagging doubts. He could not shake off the fear that it was all going to go wrong. Yeah, I mean. So, yeah. <laughs> sorry, I was just going to say, like, I, I think that obviously I think that anxiety is born from past trauma of things going wrong, right? Like, the probably the thing was serious. Like, that was probably well but the thing with Sirius happened before they went to the ministry this time right so it wasn't like they didn't feel like that when they were infiltrating the ministry probably because they were in Sirius's home 
right? They had, you know. Oh, no, like, I just meant like, they ha- like just not, not even just like because it was at the ministry. I just mean in general, they go, they do this thing, they have this plan, and it, it all just goes to shit and someone dies. Like just yeah. in general. Well, then, and then the second time they try, like, right, like this time in this book, right? Not the first time in this book, the second time they go to the ministry, you know, to do something. Yeah. Um, it all goes to shit again. And then yeah. they get caught. Um, and oh, and then the thing with the basilisk happened in between there, right? With, with Nagini um, being inside of what's her face? Bertha? Was it Bertha? Oh, oh okay. I was like the basilisk. What? Oh, but yeah, no. Um, Not the basilisk. Oh, sorry, Nagini. I'm sorry. Matilda. Matilda Backshot. Yeah. Matilda. Oh my God. <laughs> what is happening with me? Um, I'm sorry, guys. I'm a parent who just had COVID recently. I don't know my own fucking name. Um, basilisk. My ass. Everybody uh, makes mistakes. Gosh. Everybody has those days. Everybody knows what, what I'm talking about. <laughs> What what was I saying? Oh, okay. So that happened. Then they, you know, like Ron, you know, somewhere in there, Ron like leaves and like hurts Carrie's feelings and then comes back, whatever. And then, you know, they get caught and things happen, right? So it's like, yeah, a lot has happened. Oh, Dobby dies, you know? So it's like, fuck. Like, yeah. Like, I would also have anxiety planning this. Right. Yeah, for sure. Bill tells him not to trust the person who has like the intel on how to do this, right? Like, yeah, I also would not be like super confident about my plan. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, what about you? What's your quote? Yeah, the quote I chose for desperation was: "The tethered dragon let out a roar, and a gush of flame flew flew over the goblins. The wizards fled, doubled up, back the way that they had come." An inspiration or madness came to Harry. Pointing his wand at the thick cuffs chaining the beast to the floor, he yelled, Relatio. So basically, like, you know, the inspiration or madness, like, he was like, I gotta make a split-second decision, and if this kills us, it kills us, but this is what I gotta do, you know? Just kind of shows, like, I could be totally insane for doing this, but I have no other choice. <laughs> So when we think about when I think about the politics of trauma, I feel like we have the same um, person for our yeah, yeah. politics, probably for different reasons. Yeah. Um, I was thinking about Harry, obviously, because he's the one carrying the bulk of the responsibility and the trauma and like worrying about this is not going to work. And people keep like kind of being in his ear about it. And then I was like, oh, we'll wing it, you know, and he's like, bitch, like. What do you mean we'll wing it? Yeah, like we're playing with people's lives right now. It's like Dobby literally died. I don't want this to like, yeah. Like I think that's the the undercurrent of this, right? Like there are lives at stake. Have you not learned anything, right? Which like, you know, it's wrong. Um, so <laughs> what about you? Like how does Harry fit into all this? Yeah, I, I picked Harry for mine as well. Um, and that's just because he, he he seems to be the one that's willing to take the biggest risks when he when he's in any sort of desperate situation. I mean, Hermione also, I feel like, um, has shown that she's willing to take risks uh, when needed. But like uh, Harry seems to, I guess, maybe find himself in the desperate situations more often. I don't know. Um, like he was the one that like in this chapter alone, he was the one that like decided to do the imperious curse at the last minute. He was the one that freed the dragon. Like he always seems to be the one that has to make these like difficult last minute risky decisions. And that's why he's the chosen one. You know what I mean? Like someone's got to do it. He's got to do it. He's the boss man. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) With great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. Or so I hear. Yeah, exactly. Um, when we think about the politics of a desperation for the entire series, I'm thinking about how desperately Vernon Dursley wanted to stomp the magic out of Harry. <laughs> and like, That's like, you know what? I am going to stop. I will not stop. Um, 
I will go to the middle of the ocean on a rock <laughs> and no one can find me there. Yeah, yeah. Right. That that whole sequence of him just basically going slowly insane. <laughs> yeah, no, just I that is peak desperation for me. Yeah. Uh <laughs> from book one to book seven desperation comes in many forms but the peak for me was written Dursley if we're being honest yeah yeah and I mean honestly you you made it easy for me because there's trauma literally fucking everywhere in this book in this series what I <laughs> I mean if we want to even I disagree I disagree it's I know. such a rosy series like everything goes well for here so like, happy I mean so if we want to start back at the beginning um Everyone lives. Like, he has two healthy, loving parents. No, I mean, obviously, like, the first, like, the Dursleys, in general, are trauma for Harry, right? Like, he had a super fucking awful traumatic childhood full of abuse and neglect. Um, So that's, like, the basis of his trauma before he even realizes he's a wizard and has to go and do all these other things. But then if you want to talk about, like, when he's actually, like, like, comfortable in his powers, growing older, I would say the biggest traumatic event that changed the entire course of Harry's life has to be Cedric's death. Oh, that light thing that happened to him? Yeah. Oh, not a yeah. big deal. Um, yeah, Cedric's death is the one thing I think that really just kind of like pushed Harry to be like, shit, like this is this is like real, right? Because that's like the first person that he lost that he like really knew. Other than, I mean like... Well, and also like didn't, I don't know, Dis- disappear into dust like right it and like obviously like boy. he lost his parents which i mean we didn't even i didn't even talk about that like as part of it yeah the, Dur- the dursleys were traumatic and the fact that he like grew up in an awfully abusive neglective household but he also before that even happened he lost his parents so but so like yes he lost his parents but he didn't remember that he didn't remember them but cedric is like the first one where it's like he he was like really involved in that um and he felt a lot of guilt for that so yeah i would say yeah like that's the well that's the the first real quote-unquote death we see on page right like because right yeah in book two people get petrified it's not the same no yeah no, so it's his, a little scary but that's what like that that chapter i feel like is the point where the Harry Potter series starts transitioning much more starkly into adult books from children's books. Yeah. And then we've got, you know, order of the Phoenix, which, you know, it's basically a, basically (laughs) a study on depression. Um, But yes, ends in another close death. And then we, then we lose Dumbledore and then we lose Dobby. Then we like, and we had Hedwig. Yeah. So like Cedric is just the beginning. (laughs) So, just never get close to Harry Potter is the center message of the books. You might die, you know. I mean, a lot of the people that die, he tends to lose father figures mostly. Okay, so then just don't become a father figure to Harry. Yeah, Duh. I mean, Arthur Weasley really got off pretty easily. I'd have to say, um, <laughs> um, he was supposed to die. By the way, like, uh, oh, and Hagrid. Hagrid said. also got off easy because Hagrid. I feel like, but Hagrid, I feel like, acts like a little bit more of a mother figure to Harry. And I feel like we've discussed this. But I don't remember. Um, well, yes, and also Hagrid is more like not. I feel like Hagrid is not as much as of a father figure as he is like a friend, a kooky like cousin, yeah, slash like fun uncle type like vibes you know yeah i could see that but yeah i yeah i would say in terms of trauma losing his parents growing up in the dursley household and then witnessing and feeling guilty for the death of cedric degree oh just pretty light trauma and that's just to start it off yeah like that's just that's just to start it off obviously there are more <laughs> but those are the big like <laughs> things that defined him and his life oh Actually, you know what else is trauma? Dementors, right? Like that right. defines trauma for Harry, right? Like, he's well, just... dementors are like the personification of depression. So, yeah, um, definitely, and they feed off of his trauma and his, yeah. you know, try to su- suck out his soul, which leads us to our dementors and chocolate yes. segment, where we talk about what threatened to suck our soul and also what made us a little bit all better um yes helene 
what threatened to suck your soul just like you know ted cruz <laughs> Um, so my Dementor, this chapter, I had two. The first one was, I don't, and I can't, I literally don't know how to explain why I felt this way, but just like reading. Okay. Oh, which is, you know what? That's a fun thing because my Dementor, I was like, I think I can workshop it with Helene as to why it feels icky. So I, this is great. We can workshop this with each okay, other. Okay. Perfect. So yeah, mine was reading about the burning treasure um that multiplied for some reason just like made me feel like physically like uncomfortable and it wasn't just like the thought of like i don't know like i guess like yeah obviously just the thought of like feeling burned is not great but i don't know it just made me it was just mm-hmm. I, I don't know i just literally was like squirming reading that part of the chapter where they were just like being surrounded by just like burning treasure that just kept multiplying and like they literally couldn't escape it and it was just really just like I couldn't, I don't know. Like I had a physical reaction. So it was that, and then uh, the dragon. I felt so fucking bad for that fucking dragon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So on the one hand, the the multiplying and scorching treasure is also like a visual uh, metaphor for like fire, right? Like how fire like starts off and like can like can consume you and like light up right yeah that's true and multiply and like scorch you like all over you know so that might be like the sensation of being burned alive is what is i think also like physically happening in this chapter um so that is a little bit squirmy for me right like to think about someone being yeah like burned alive yeah, and it's just it was also kind of off-putting because obviously like the description makes it feel like super like have, makes me get like gives me this distinct physical reaction to it, but they kind of because yeah, it's metal. Yeah, and, but they yeah. kind of just like shrug it off, right? Like yeah, and then it's like, oh, but no big deal. Yeah. We can just climb on top of a scaly dragon. Yeah, and they're it all doesn't fucking hurt. They're what? fine. Like they're like, oh, they're you know. They, I think at the end they're like, oh, you know, they're a little banged up and they have like marks or whatever. But it's like you were literally drowning in burning hot metal. How does how Listen, how did you how did you get out of that just completely fine? Okay, let's be real. Any. Any millennial who's ever used a flattening iron knows or straight or a curling how iron much <laughs> yes, how much it fucking hurts to get burnt on your hands, literally, on your forehead, or whatever. Yeah, literally touching it to like any part of your body for like even like a second leaves a, a, a blister. Like yeah, a, like a scorch mark that lasts for weeks and the pain lasts for literal hours. So I do not understand how yeah. these people like could go through something similar to that, but you know, in their entire fucking body and then just be like, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to climb up the scaly dragon and then I'm going to be fine. Yeah. I mean, adrenaline and all that too, but like still, I just, it just felt, I just felt like. Okay. But when, but when adrenaline like goes away. Yeah. I guess we'll have to see next chapter if there's, like, a mention of, like, a solve or something that Hermione, like, puts on them or whatever. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I just – I really didn't like reading about that part. And then, yeah, like like I said, the dragon, too. Like, I, it, it's animal abuse. It's awful. I hate it. Yeah, well, that's what I was going to say. Like, the second <laughs> part of that is that it's um, – the whole dragon of it all is just – it's animal abuse and it's, like – we, you know, it's a dragon, but we see like a dog or a cat or, you know, like a domesticate, some kind of domesticated animal, like equivalent, or even just like a lion in an enclosure right. or, you know, someone at the zoo. Like it just, it's, it's inhumane and like terrible. Like when those people and- use like those long sticks with like the taser at the end to like yes. keep like gorillas and, and bears in line and stuff. Oh, that's terrible. Yeah, I know. It's disgusting. And, like, with the glee that, like, Grip Hook is, I, I guess not glee, but, like, with the nonchalance, right, that, that it's explained by Grip Hook's, like, oh, we just do this because it expects pain, because, you know, we just condition oh, yeah. them. It's just, no, it's, it's like, normalized, terrible. it's normalized for him. He's like, oh, yeah, this is what, yeah. this is what we do to dragons. Like, dude, these are, whatever. <laughs> like, 
They're okay. they're not just objects. Cool man. <laughs> cool story. Speaking bro. of grip book, did you want to talk about yours? Um. Yeah, I completely forgot that I hadn't gone yet. Okay. Um. <laughs> so I'm gonna read the quote that gave me the like ick, as the children say, and <laughs> we can kind of like discuss why it gave me the ick. Um. I have, I think, a a vague idea but then we could probably like dissect it a little further cool. so here it is Harry bent down and the goblin clambered onto his back his hands linked on front of Harry's throat he was not heavy but Harry disliked the feeling of the goblin and the surprising strength with which he clung on Hermione pulled the invisibility cloak out of the beaded bag and threw it over them both yeah. I I had, I had a weird reaction to that too. I was just kind of like, oh, this is like a this is interesting. Like I was like, do, do I feel how do I feel about this? So I, I I kind of can see where you're coming from with this. It it's something about like, okay, so this is someone you've been collaborating with or I don't know if it's do you feel this way because of Bill's warning, right? In the you know, in the previous chapter, or do you feel like this because of some dormant prejudice is there a reason like why the the strength is surprising is it because you know the you know the goblin is smaller than you so you expect it to be weaker than you like i don't it's just I think, uh, personally no. i think a lot of uh, i see it as like a baseline like lack of trust like he just doesn't he just doesn't trust grip hook and so like every single th- aspect of his presence and his his like part he plays in this plan is like going to be off-putting and unnerving to Harry because he just doesn't trust him. So is it like when you already decided you don't like someone, they could just be breathing and you'd be like, "Oh my god, they're so annoying the way they breathe." Yeah, it's like, "Oh my god." Okay, <laughs> I just thought of the perfect example. So like, you've seen how I met your mother, right? Mm-hmm. I don't exa- I don't remember the character's name, but there's this like, um, there's this woman in Robin's office that she absolutely hates. Patri- Patrice. Patrice. I was like Patricia. No, Patrice. Yes, it's Patrice. So, um, <laughs> yeah, literally, Patrice is the nicest person in the entire world. She like bakes Robin cookies, and she loves Robin so much, and she thinks that Robin and her are best friends. And Robin literally just yells at Patrice. For literally nothing. Like, she's already decided she doesn't like Patrice. Um, and so that's kind yeah. of what it reminds me of, right? Like, she's already made up her mind about Patrice. And no matter what the fuck Patrice does, she's an idiot or she's a nuisance or she's, you know, like, it's so it's kind of like that, right? Like, Harry's already kind of made up his mind about who the type of um, person, I guess, even though he's not a person, the type of being that Grip Hook is. And, the, and, and he's just like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm, I'm not gonna that's just who he is now to me right yeah I mean, you just brought up like um like a vivid memory of how i met your mother to me that i had <laughs> completely like you forgot about you patrice know, like, I, I love patrice <laughs> i did not know that this was in a dusty box in my brain attic yeah i like i, I think of the scene where uh, Robin becomes Patrice's boss at some point. I think when Sandy Rivers gets fired or something, um, mm-hmm. and like she's sitting at her desk and she has to she has to fire she decides to fire Patrice because she has to lay off people and she doesn't like Patrice so she's gonna obviously fire Patrice and she has Patrice like in her office like sitting at her desk with her and Patrice just has like this basket of like cookies or mini muffins or something and and Robin I think in the end can't even can't do it I think she's just like. Fine, Patrice, I won't fire you or something. I can't remember, but I just vividly remember that. Oh, thing. God. So good. Wow. Well, And then Patrice, like, helping yeah. Barney with his proposal. Mm. That was very cute. <laughs> and then <laughs> they just undid all of that progress in, like, one episode. Anyway. How dare they do me that? Yeah, that? I'm going to... I'm going to need some chocolate to digest that. Um, 
<laughs> Tough, Wait, we, we've swallow. decided we've decided that the reason that we feel weird about it is because Harry is is Robin and and Gripbook is Patrice. Is that what we've decided? <laughs> I I think I okay. So I really think I you know yes and no. I feel like I really think that I feel weird about it because it means that Harry let prejudice in. And it's affecting the way that he feels about Grip Hook. Yeah. Regardless, we're not of the fact that of how Grip Hook acts later. That's like separate from this moment. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. All right. Um, let's talk about the chocolate. Um, Helene, what did you hold dear in this chapter? What gave you life? Really quick. Right before I, I get into the chocolate, I just want to say, um, Easter candy is officially at Target. I was at Target this weekend um, picking up some groceries, and they had my absolute favorite, the carton of 12 mini-sized Cadbury cream eggs. Um, not like the, the ones that are solid chocolate with the candy coating. No, these are literally the same exact things as like the full-sized chocolate with the cream inside, but they are smaller, and the ratio of cream to chocolate is so much better. I bought two full cartons of these things. I was so fucking excited. Yeah, because there's more cream than than in the other ones, right? Well, no, it's it's honestly the there's there's less cream to chocolate. Like the the cream to chocolate. Okay. I don't know. The cream to chocolate ratio is just it's just way better. Like I don't because I feel like the the big size are just too sickly sweet. And it's hard for me to get a. Oh no! But a, I love the big. Sw- oh, I, I love, love the them. Big I love them. I, I will eat them. But like, it's harder for me to get through a full one. With these, I could eat like two or three. Just, and um, it's amazing. Helene, I am a literal pig. I I can <laughs> eat a full size one, and like, I think I think the issue is that three the, seconds. I think the, the issue is that the cream by itself is very, very, very sweet, and you need it to have the chocolate with it to kind of balance it. Um, and there's just so a whole portion. Oh, well, there's a whole portion in the middle where it's just cream because the chocolate is mainly like concentrated at the top of the, in the bottom of the egg. Like that's where you're going to get the most chocolate. Oh, so I cut them, I, I cut them like lengthwise. Interesting. What you like eat I them like a, into them like a piece, yeah. piece of pizza yeah. kind of like, kind of interesting. No, no, like a, like on the side. Interesting. I might have to try that. Listen, I I can eat one huge Cadbury egg in like three seconds flat. Like, well, I, if you haven't tried the smaller ones, if you haven't tried the mini eggs, oh, I love I oh. love any Cadbury cream egg. Okay, like any size. I don't yes, know why got, they're just I, so I'm much yours. better to me. So I highly recommend them. I bought two full cartons, and then I also bought a six pack of the Russell Stover marshmallow um, eggs. Oh, so I bought, okay, so at, uh, um, I am in Puerto Rico right now, so uh, <laughs> sadly, no Target for me. Um, so that also means no Cadbury X because the Walgreens here doesn't even have them this year. Rude. I'm very mad about it. I will write a letter to corporate, mark my words, I will become a full Karen over <laughs> Easter candy because Easter is the best season for candy, in my humble opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, and I will not be taking any notes on this. This is just <laughs> my opinion and, you know, whatever. If you like Halloween better, then good for you. Anyway. No, Easter candy is better. The point is, um, there are these uh, egg cartons at uh, Walgreens that are $1.49, I believe. Um, and I meant to make, like take a picture and like make a joke about how like i don't know why people are like yeah. complaining about the price of eggs right. you know right. so i found i found really cheap eggs um <laughs> so it's they're like uh chocolate covered marshmallows and like Ooh. a like in like a foamy in a foam uh egg carton super cute um i think they're the zachary brand i mean is is it like the best chocolate it is not dear listeners but do I eat all 12? Yes. Not in one sitting, I think. But, you know, I do eat them. <laughs> oh, yeah. Just I should try beautiful. those. If I see yeah. them, I should try them. But, yes. Um, anyway. I mean, for $1.49, yeah. come on. Yeah. Like, yeah. egg cartons here are like $7 right now. This is a lot, guys. Do you know how many chocolate cover like, marshmallow eggs I can you know, eat, you know, get with that kind of money, like four. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. That's 48 eggs if you guys are, you know, <laughs> math inclined. Well, in terms of chapter chocolates, um, mm-hmm. I didn't really, like I said, I didn't really like this chapter. Uh, so it was kind of difficult for me to find one that, you know, but, but I, but, and like I said, because the movie scenes are so iconic in this part, um, like I kept on visualizing those. And so I guess I have to say like the, the performance of Helena Bonham Carter pretending to be Hermione, pretending to be Bellatrix is Mm -hmm. still one of my favorite things in like all of the Harry Potter series and so honestly I think that part in the film just made me like her Hermione's like like genuine impression of Bellatrix in the book more because like I could more easily like visualize what it would be like if Helena Bonham Carter was doing it if you if that makes sense yeah yeah (laughs) so that's that's what I would say Um so mine isn't uh, from the movie. But mine is more of a very dark chocolate, like one of those bittersweet, maybe like a baking chocolate. Ninety like percent you know cacao mean? or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or you know, like just you know, like a baking bar where it's like, please don't try to eat this because it's not <laughs> fit for consumption. You know, by itself, and it's the following quote: He realized now that. They could hardly have laid Dobby to rest in a more beautiful place, but Harry ached with sadness to think of li- leaving him behind. Yeah, that was, it. That was yeah, my bittersweet that's, chocolate. That's, very, that's a very sweet one. I mean, bittersweet for sure. Yeah. Uh, emphasis on bitter. Um, you know what's not bitter? Media we've been consuming. Helene, tell us what in media outside of Harry Potter has been giving you joy. Marie Kondo style. I don't know. I'm just just saying words at this point. A few things. Um, I watched the first five episodes, the first part of You season four on Netflix. Um, Mm -hmm. Those Mm -hmm. were very good. I'm excited to see the rest of the season. I like that they're kind of moving away from the basic formula they've done the first three seasons. It's more of like a whodunit and the you that he like fixates on is not a woman that he's in love with, but rather someone who is framing him for murder and that he wants to find out who it is. Um, so it's definitely like, Oh my God. It's, it's uh, you meets uh, pretty little liars. Yeah. Sort of, sort of. So like when he went, so then when he talks to like in his narrative voice, he's like, I'm going to find you or whatever. Like he's talking to like the you and the you is like, not, it's not love. It's, you know, it's not someone he's like obsessed with because he loves them. Or like, you know, Joe's version of love. <laughs> but he's obsessed mm-hmm. with them because he wants to find out who's trying to frame him. So um, it, it was it was really, I, I liked it. It was a nice change of pace for that show. And then I also, my sister showed, t- like, told me about a documentary on HBO Max called I Love You Now Die. And it's about a court case. Okay. It's about a court case that I'm pretty sure that almost everyone in the world has probably heard of at one point or another. It was very, it was back in 20. 20- uh 16 um or 2017 mm-hmm. of that of a girl named Michelle Carter whose boyfriend committed suicide and they found out that she had like mm-hmm. sent him a bunch of text messages uh like encouraging him to do it and so she was tri- she was tried with um charged with manslaughter um involuntary manslaughter i think mm-hmm. because like she basically talked him into committing suicide um, based on the texts mm-hmm. and like when he was like in his car with a generator on dying of carbon monoxide poisoning, he got out of the truck, called her and was scared because it was working and she told him to get back into the truck. And so that was kind of what sealed her conviction. She did get charged with involuntary manslaughter. She served less than like a year. I think she served like 11 months or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that was a really interesting documentary and then i knew that they had made a tv show that was basically a a dramatization of that story with Elle fanning playing michelle carter um and that was on hulu so i decided to watch that as well uh it was it was okay it feels it felt a little weird to like watch like something about like a real people's lives especially because this lat this was like this this girl's like five years younger than me and this was very recent it happened very recently so 
Yeah. Um, it was just a little odd, but it was still it was still interesting. And then I also started a show called The Magicians on Netflix. Well, yeah. I I've watched it. I'm kind of the jury's still kind of out on it. I just finished the first season last night. To be honest, I didn't really like it for a myriad of reasons. I figured I I, <laughs> I heard I heard you say like you were watching it like now and I'm just like I don't think this is like Helene's like it doesn't strike me as a Helene type of deal. I mean like the thing I is, I didn't hate it either, but like I just didn't love it. Yeah, I don't know if I'll get through all five seasons, but I'll definitely keep trying. It's just the thing with it is like I think it's trying to be campy and it's really just just cheesy. It's not it's kind of like the jokes are just kind of a little too too much sometimes and like sometimes it takes itself too seriously and i don't know it's just the writing is honestly pretty kind of bad sometimes <laughs> uh but i'm gonna try it for a little bit longer and maybe who knows maybe it'll it'll get me because like i didn't like the game of i didn't like game of thrones for like the first two seasons well, so. I think the thing with Magicians is it hasn't figured out its voice yet, you know, in, in season one. Yeah. I don't know about any other seasons because I kind of stopped with season one. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I, there's a lot of other shows yeah. on Netflix or in other streaming platforms. Honestly, that and, I I, would... and I didn't really like the, the storyline in season one because, like, it's all about fillery and, like, trying to figure out who the beast is. Like, I didn't like that. and But I but they figured they 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 what do you call it resolve that at the end of season one so i'm hoping maybe the season two story arc will be better and maybe i'll like it more because of that we'll see all right if you continue with it let me know if it's worth it. yeah um yeah we'll see no i'm not sold on it yet but what about you what have you been uh consuming media wise um this is kind of a little bit of a throwback. Um, I've been listening to the Little Women soundtrack um, as I've been writing and editing and doing some of the stuff. And what, like in the, more recent the Greta media, Gerwig version? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the Greta Ger- Gerwig version, which like it's just chef's kiss, no notes. Yeah. Um, I've been watching Miss Scarlet and the Duke season two on PBS. And I just absolutely love that show. Um, If you don't know what Miss Scarlet and the Duke is, it's a historical, like, uh, I guess, drama of this uh, woman in Victorian England who chooses to become a private detective once her father has passed away in kind of mysterious circumstances. She, her father was friends with who uh, a man they call Duke. Right, um, and he is Scot- Scottish. I don't know how to do a Scottish accent, but um, <laughs> he uh, he is very uh, brooding and grumpy, and I love him forever uh, because he's my he's basically Roy Kent with a Scottish accent. Oh my god! Um, speaking of Roy you know Kent, how I feel about this. did you see that Ted Lasso uh, season three is coming out on March fifteenth? I'm so excited! I am so excited as well. We can. Uh, we can squeal about that and like life, like just sit down and sink ourselves to like, okay, I'm starting episode one now. <laughs> I'm so pumped. I cannot wait. Um. So yeah. So you know, think about like a Roy Kent, a little bit more like broad-shouldered and tall, like you know, seems taller, right? Like in you know Victorian getup. Um. Just. Just as grumpy, um, oh my beautiful, God. beautiful man. Now I'm just picturing Brett Goldstein in Bridgerton. <laughs> Basically, something like oh that. Oh my God, imagine um, if Brett Goldstein was in Bridgerton. I would fucking die. Bridgerton producers, please make this happen. <laughs> I would literally die if you did that. Please. Um, And, you know, she's like our spunky little her- heroine who's like, you know, bucking conventional norms and the, they have the will they or won't they type thing going on. Um, I just love it. I love it so much. I love Eliza Scarlet so much. And I love Duke even more, obviously, because I just, I'm just like, ah, romantic hero who's grumpy. Yes. Love a good, a grumpy romantic hero. Love a good grumpers. Like one of them has to be grumpy. If, if not, it doesn't work out. You know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you have like a sunshine character, you have to have a grumpy character. Yeah, we've had this conversation just- where I'm just such a sucker for 
men who have like this tough exterior and like you're the one thing that like makes them all mushy like <laughs> it's everything to me. i just yes. i don't know why but i just love it so much that's why roy kent is my like dream man i love him so goddamn much <laughs> yeah i mean no notes like i know like i do too I'm kind of married to someone like Rickette, which is like grumpy, like man yeah, who I a grumpy softy. just love to distract. Love a grumpy soft. Yeah, a gr- beautiful. Yeah, no notes. Um, shout out to Seth, <laughs> the best grumpy man I know. Um, <laughs> anyway, <laughs> that is it for today's episode. Please join us next time as we talk about chapter twenty-seven of Harry Potter and the Deadly Hallows, titled "The Final Hiding Place." And if you've enjoyed this conversation, please take a second to give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you happen to be listening to us right now. It helps new listeners discover our podcast and it makes us feel good about ourselves, which is important. Yeah, please do that. I mean, don't traumatize us is all we're saying. Right. Yes. Give us happy memories. We, don't, we need some happy things in our lives. All right. Well, until then, politics managed. Support this show by going to patreon.com slash Occupolitics. Our patrons keep this show going. You can find us online at Occupolitics.com and we are at Occupolitics on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can email us your thoughts at info at Occupolitics.com. Leave us a voicemail at 915-996-1699. And you might just hear yourself on the podcast. Adriana Wilson is the founder and creative director of the podcast. Helene Karp is the producer and social media manager. Allison Pullman is the audio wizard and editor who makes us sound so good. Cover art and physical rewards are designed by Adriana Wilson. The views expressed by the hosts and guests are expressly their own and not representative of their employers or associates. Occupolitics is part of the MuggleNet family of podcasts.